Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. Hi guys, welcome to the next episode of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Rob Giannino. As you guys know, I never hold back on how fortunate I feel to connect with, travel with, and certainly fish with some really cool people. Although we haven't fished yet together, Pierce OJ is certainly no exception and definitely among the top of that list. I mean, this guy is a guide with a biochem degree. In addition to being a guide himself, he runs a highly successful outfitting business in the heart of some of the best trout waters in Montana. We dive deep into it, and I know you guys are going to love Pierce as well as this episode. But before we jump in, I want to take just a second and thank you, the listeners, for listening to our podcast. Without you guys and all your support, this whole dream of podcasting and fly fishing and traveling would not be possible. So thank you for listening and supporting. If you're coming out to a fly fishing show, please be sure to stop by the podcast booth and say hello. I feel and say all the time that fly fishing is like a giant community of friends. If there's anything I can ever do to help you or support you, please let me know. I will be at all the fly fishing show events this year with the podcast studio booth, and you can always reach out to me via email or through the website flyfishingjourneys.com. Again, thank you. The Fly Fishing Show Tour travels the country every winter. From January until March, the largest consumer fly fishing shows in the world will be in seven locations. The stops are Marlboro, Massachusetts, which covers the New England area, Denver, Colorado, Edison, New Jersey, which is the New York, New Jersey and Mid-Atlantic State show, Atlanta, Georgia, Bellevue, Washington, Pleasanton, California, the Bay Area show, and finally back to where it all started in Pennsylvania at the Lancaster Show. These are super fun events that are packed with teaching, presentations, and everything you would ever want to know or see in fly fishing. Find all the details at flyfishingshow.com. Well, good morning. Welcome to another edition of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. We are super excited to have Pierce OJ from Montana. Pierce, thanks for being on our podcast. It's an absolute honor, sir. So Wet Net Outfitters out of Montana, man. Let's get into this because I'm fired up to hear about Montana. I've fished a couple of times, but I've really never had, other than like Rich from Watermaster Rafts, which is more of a rafts podcast, I've never had like a proper conversation about the Montana water, so I'm excited to have you on. Oh, it'll be a treat. So first of all, how long have you run Wet Net Outfitters? Where, what was the origin of the company? Yeah, so Wet Net Outfitters is, is kind of my brainchild from all my industry experience. I mean, I started working in a fly shop when I was, I mean, literally a kid, you know, milk on my lips. And, <laughs> you know, from there I started guiding and one thing led to another and short stint at a ranch in between there during covid was was kind of my only break from really the fishing industry which was inevitably a good thing for me yeah but yeah it's a, it's the combination of all my experiences and what worked well what didn't work you know what what were people really receptive to what were people kind of like ah that was all right you've got a nice personality and you fill out those waiters good but <laughs> You, you might, I'd rather do something different next year. Yeah. 
Well, that's been quite a while, I'm sure, since something like that's happened. So, you know, how many days did you guide last year? Uh, I did 135 days last year, I think. That's a lot so, of guiding, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And how many boats? I mean, we had days where there were 15 boats out on the water. And Wet net. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We had days where, you know, I was the only one out, and yeah. those are obviously... Little bit easier days. People aren't having to listen to me talk on the phone as much when we're driving to the river and mm -hmm. get to play guide a little bit more than outfitter those days, which is always a little bit of a treat. Now, do you have to like kind of when you're the one actually doing the guiding? Do you have to kind of shut that cell phone down and be guide well? Let the other people do the yeah guiding and once we hit the river, I mean, it's pretty quick how fast things melt away for me yeah. and you know, oh my phone's buzzing. I really don't care. We're fishing now. So <laughs> whoever's doing whatever they're doing yeah, has to take yeah, care of whatever yeah, they're yeah. doing. Sorry, we're full in a text <laughs> message. <laughs> I hope you're not full. We're fishing together tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That'd be funny if that was an automatic reply. Every text. Sorry, we're full. I think that'd be about the crustiest Montana outfitter move ever if you had an auto reply that said, sorry, we're full. <laughs> well, let's talk about that whole kind of Montana explosion. I mean, were you there, Pierce, for the explosion of a river once through in the no, I mean, early 90s or probably a little bit before your time? That's a little bit before my time, yeah. Um, but that, that really was what kicked it off. I mean, you talk to these guys that were around in the early 80s, mid 80s, you know, kind of the the forefathers of Montana fly fishing and you know they all kind of single in on that as really the change that started bringing a lot more guys from the east out that were historically serious anglers as well as let's go try this you know Brad Pitt looked really good out there and you know that shadow casting thing was pretty cool and I've even been uh, called before I, I got a call from two gals I, I won't say what state I think we can all guess. And they said, are you a fishing outfitter? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, oh, well, we, we just watched a river runs through it on Netflix. And he was doing the shadow cast thing. And that looked incredible. Can you teach us how to do that? And I was like, you bet I can. <laughs> no problem. You come on No out. problem. You come yep, right out. Is, we will take good care of you. It is by far the most effective way to target trout in Montana. The shadow cast. Brad had it right. Well, I actually interviewed uh, Jason Borger. Oh, cool. For the podcast uh, back in the day. He was just a blast. His dad's here. Oh, really? Have you met, oh, have you met Gary Borger? Gary, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I interviewed Jason for the podcast. Super fun a conversation about that whole experience that he had as filling in for Brad Pitt as the shadow caster. Oh, yeah. It was actually Jason on the cover. Yep. Well, and, and so you talk to any of these guys that were were in Bozeman that time of year that were involved in the industry and they they all claim to have been propositioned to to oh. be Brad Pitt's <laughs> casting devil, you know. They all did, huh? Well, I mean what a good claim to fame and it's not verifiable, you know. If I wasn't uh such a young man myself, I think I'd probably uh <laughs> do the same. <laughs> I think I'd they they wanted me. I'd they probably really wanted try me. to. Yeah. <laughs> I, you hear the ups and the downs of how good that's been for Montana. I mean, obviously, it's been amazing economically. Yeah. But how has that affected the, the river quality and the pressure on the river? You know, I'm, I mean, in terms of, of river health, if we truly look at a, a river health perspective in Montana, there's been some ups, certainly more ups and downs, and there have been some downs. And, and historically, our, our downs are 
are purely mechanical. Dam malfunctions, water mismanagement, stuff like that. Whereas catch and release is, is truly a good system. Yeah. I mean, it flat works. You know, I've got fish that, that I know I've caught twice mm-hmm. over the span of a couple of weeks in the springtime when those fish aren't really moving about the river a whole lot. And so, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said for catch and release on this show. Yeah. What are some of the rivers that you that you fish, that you guide on? Yeah, so I spend the majority of my time um, on the upper Yellowstone drainage, not including the park. So that'd be the Yellowstone River, the Shields, the Boulder, the Stillwater, uh, and the Paradise Valley Spring Creeks. So those wouldn't be like the Madison, the Gallatin, you know, the Missouri, you know, like some of the other ones that you hear. Those are kind of unique rivers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm from eastern Montana, so that's that's always been home waters. You know, when I was all of eight years old, grandma would drive me out to the Stillwater and I'd go wade fish and she'd sit in the parking lot and I'd roll back in at dark and we'd go off for an ice cream cone. So to me, that's that's what I know. It's what I enjoy doing. You know, it seems the further west you drive, kind of the more more folks you see. And mm-hmm. so we've kind of got our, our own nice little cut out there. Not after this show, though. <laughs> you guys are busy. I <laughs> we'll <see>. be flooded. <laughs> you, there won't be any more room. I'll be a celebrity. <laughs> hey, I, I listen to you on Rob's podcast. <laughs> no room left. No room left. No, we're full. Sorry, we're full. We're full. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the type of program you, you offer, because you're a guide, but it's a little different type of program where then you just kind of hire me for the day to row you down river. Right, exactly. And, you know, a lot of that's by design. A lot of that is is inherently based off of, you know, I, I have done the the 65 day in a row stretches where, I mean, you literally see the top three on the bighorn every day. And I have done, you know, one river guide programs where you're showing guests over the course of three days the same bead of water and you can really only have one best day so the impetus behind this was you know selling international trips and and talking to those guests that had gone to Argentina what they loved was was the diversity you know we went and saw this estancia this day and we went and fished this lake this day and we were on a spring creek one day and Mm -hmm. we took a jet drive cat one day and and really it was that we went all over, we saw some country, we had a really nice time, but every day was a little bit different. And so for me, the guide, that keeps things fresh, right? Every day I'm kind of showing up and it's like, oh, there's a river here, you know, and mm-hmm. we're going to go float it. And then the next day we'll be doing private access through a ranch on a small stream. Uh, the next day we'll be on the Yellowstone, the the grandmother of, of all freestone fisheries. I mean, it's a big ditch. Yeah. How much of your program is single day I'm going to, you know, show you a river versus how many clients coming out and you're showing them multiple days, multiple rivers? Uh, last year when I when I looked at the data, most of my trips, the majority were four days in length. That's amazing. And that's about right. I mean, four days gives us an opportunity to go see, you know, generally three different fisheries. And then by that fourth day, somebody's, you know, something's resonated with them. And it's like, you know, I... I really liked that. Yeah. Let's go do that again. But can we see a different stretch? And it's like, of course we can. You that's know, awesome. It's, it's not limited to, to one particular float. And so that's that's generally how that goes. People come out with grand intentions of five rivers in five days, and, and generally it turns into, 
you know, three or four rivers over the course of four or five days because something is, right. is special to them. So how do you manage shuttles? Because it's not like you're a fly shop on a river. You're doing different water spread out across a good stretch of land. How, how do you manage your shuttles? Right. And I, I'd first like to preface this with a shout out to all the shuttle drivers. They are the unsung heroes of, of Montana fly fishing. Yeah. I mean, truly are, you know, it sure is nice to have all those different services and, and our shuttle drivers are great. So I've got a different service for each river, you know, something like the Yellowstone. There's two services that I use. One for the lower reaches, one for the upper reaches. I mean, really three when you look at that that lower, lower river. Yep. You know, one on the boulder, one on the still water, and then a lot of the other stuff we do is walk and wade, so no shuttle required. What's the Yellowstone like? It's big. It's mysterious. Big water? Oh, it's huge water. What and town would be the closest town that you would kind of think about? Livingston. Oh, so right from your hometown? I, I mean, the town stretch of Livingston, you know, last year with, with the flood conditions, um, the 89 boat ramp was closed. And so that sort of bottom half of the town float from Mayor's to 89 wasn't wasn't accessible for us last year. So I didn't I didn't really do town. But town is, is where the most fish live. Okay. Uh, um, it's got about the best fish population on the river beautiful riffle run bucket fishery i mean some neat ledges just you kind of look at it and it's like okay i bet they live here you know yeah. and, and they certainly do so it was kind of a bummer not being able to do that last year is it was that the same flood conditions that caused like the yellowstone the northern yellowstone national park to kind of flood out yep tore up the park um and really it got worse the further east we went you know you you watch the news and it's like you see the house floating down the river in Gardner and it's like, oh, that's pretty terrible. And, and you know, certainly the, the real tragedy of the year was was the economic conditions in Gardner. I mean, it's yeah essentially a dead-end road now. Um, wow. There wasn't a lot of reason to go up there. But as you look further east, you know, particularly the upper or kind of the middle stretch of the Stillwater, some of those homes along the upper river, and then Rock Creek and Red Lodge. Um, Rock Creek was flowing down Broadway Street in Red Lodge, wow. Montana. I mean, wow. you know, that's uh, that's pretty well unheard of. And, and that really didn't get the publicity, I I just think, because it, it wasn't. It was Rock Creek. Well, it was Rock Creek, yeah. right? And, and which one at that? You know, I think yeah. there's four of them in Montana. <laughs> so. Well, my buddy talks about the one that's kind of east of Missoula. Over by Missoula, sure. And that's the one that gets all the notoriety, but I can tell you the other rock creeks are pretty good, too. Okay. See, this is the inside knowledge. Yeah, I love that. So is the Yellowstone more walking wade, or are you going to drift that thing, or it's, what are you going to do? It's truly a, a float fishery. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's some wading opportunities, spring, fall, um, when the river's down, there's some structure that's fun to poke around in you know for guys that like two-handed rods it's a beautiful swinging river gravel bars that are endlessly long before we jump back into the podcast here's a short word from one of our fantastic sponsors are you a guide a lodge or a product manufacturer in the fly fishing or outdoor industry i want to introduce you to and highlight cross current insurance their entire team are great people and experts in their field they have a guide insurance program that is amazing and very affordable. If you are a lodge or retailer, they also have programs tailored to your needs. 
These guys fish and are in the outdoors, so they know the industry and the landscape. To get more information on a program that's perfect for you, find them at crosscurrentinsurance.com. All right, so back to the Yellowstone. We're, we're drifting the Yellowstone, and are we using like a 9'6", or what are you? You know, a lot of... A lot of nine foot six weights. Um, certainly, the nine five has some room to play. Um, if you are fishing the middle of the river, kind of trying to swim flies or call it that bottom half, bottom third of the water column, um, we'll fish like a lot of ten foot seven weights, ten foot eight weights, something where you can sort of pick it up, make one false cast, and and go with it. Um, but as a whole, you know, it's it's a lot of nine foot six weights. Cool. Something to give you a little extra punch in the wind. Are you tossing streamers? Are you casting dries? Are you nymphing indicator? What's your all of the above? All of the above. I mean, you know, Montana, we've we've really got about seven months of good angling opportunities. Um, but the seasonality is really what dictates our techniques. Um, you know, if you want to fish big dry flies, April's terrible. Right. Uh, if you want really good nymph fishing... August isn't very good for that. Um, and so the, the seasonality truly dictates what we're doing, how we're doing it, where we're at. And so with, you know, about 180 miles of, of floating opportunities on the Yellowstone, that also kind of dictates, you know, what particular piece of water we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, are there kind of patterns that are specific to the Yellowstone or your waters that are unique to your waters like because i went up to fish the north Platte, and it's the first time i ever fished an annelid <laughs> you fished a squirmy worm rob just go ahead and say it <laughs> you caught me huh so this yeah. is a very hard so what's a hard what's, body squirmy uh, wormy? what's the uh what's the north Platte rig a squirmy worm a pine squirrel leech and a sow bug is is that right right yeah, is, don't yeah. they fish three flies yeah there? they do yeah no so you know in terms of a pattern specific it is a, a freestone river. I mean, we see four species of stoneflies. I mean, five, you know, a handful. We see salmon flies on the upper river, golden stones, nocturnal stones, um, yellow sallies. And so I guess that's four. Yep. Um, and there's some other, you know, minority insects, depending on where we're at. Um, but as a whole, you know, when we're talking about hatch bugs, Short of those good pushes of caddis, you know, the mother's day's great right before runoff. Get a few in the evenings throughout that kind of July time frame when water temps are still, you know, middle 50s. Um, and then, obviously, the terrestrial fishing, I think, is what really makes the Yellowstone a, a special place. And in our corner of the state is okay. so much of what we do from, I mean, about the 20th of July through... You know, the 15th of September, I mean, even into October when we get a, you know, an Indian summer, as we call them, um, where we've got, you know, good weather into the middle of October. um, It's not unheard of to have a pretty banging day of hopper fishing in October. Um, I wouldn't plan around it. Right. But if you come out and it's going on, it's, it's generally bigger fish that are up looking for bigger hoppers. So your fall is your best terrestrial? August. August is your best. August. I mean, in August is one of those times that I think a lot of people get nervous about, and they kind of look at it, and it's like, I don't know. It's going to be too hot. Yeah, I don't know about August. But that is is supremo dry fly fishing for where we're at. And so, 
kind of pony up and say, well, let's go do it. And, you know, as long as you have any, any halfway decent winter, um, generally the August fishing, if you know it, is, is pretty dang good. That's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your background, uh, Pierce, because, you know, getting to know you over these show seasons, I've been quite impressed with, you know, your level of knowledge of uh, your fisheries and your level of knowledge about just all these different conversations we've had. So I want to talk a little bit about your degree. Tell, tell me a little bit about your degree, your college degree. Yeah, Where did so, you graduate from and in what? Yeah, I graduated from, from Montana State. I studied biochemistry while I was there. Biochemistry always seemed like a really good degree for a fishing guide. And, and you know, the, the unstated goal, and actually it was, it was pretty well stated most of my life, was, you know, I'm going to go to college and uh, get a chemistry degree and, and find a doctor to marry to support my fishing habits. And uh, that actually worked out for me. So, you know, kids listening that think, you know, can I spend a life as a fisherman? Can I marry? Well, yes, you can with the right amount of determination. <laughs> Boom! Right there, buddy. Fish pound. Good for you. And I'm tr- and and trust me, folks. It's it's he's not all relying on his fiance to be no, here. No, not year. at all. No, he's, no, no, not at all. Very, I mean that 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 investment has yet to uh, truly vest. I mean, when you start to look at residencies and fellowships and four years of medical school, yeah. I mean, it's quite a while before they start making yeah. any appreciable uh, yeah. income. And you're getting married. October of 2024. Nice. Back to fishing. Back to fishing. And no, for just I want to uh, have the listeners know a little bit about your background. You grew up, what part of Montana? I grew up in what would be considered east, well, I mean, there's eastern Montana, and then there's, you know, kind of the eastern. Billings area. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Billings. I come from a, a generational ag family on both sides. My dad's family immigrated to Montana in the 1880s. My mom's family came, I think, 1906. And so we still have the family ranch, and my folks take care of that. And Tell me about the ranch. Gosh, it's beautiful, if you don't like to trout fish. <laughs> <laughs> Big ranch? <laughs> not by Montana standards. Okay. Nice, great place, you know, not anything that's, that's over the top. Just a, a well-balanced production ranch. Cattle? Um, yep, cattle. My parents run yearlings, which would be sort of that range from after they're a calf to just before they go to the feed lot. They get kicked out, generally back out on grass for a summer. And then they go somewheres in the Midwest to, to be developed into the, the delicious cut of meat that you get on your plate. Can I ask you if your dad's ranch and other ranches like it uh, and the cattle... The cattle and their droppings are causing a hole in the ozone layer? Absolutely not. No, no. So, you know, cattle have been under attack for a while. You know, and it, it's a little ridiculous when you look at, at carbon credits and, and, you know, some of these, these market-based solutions to the environmental crisis, which we're absolutely having one. I mean, anybody can look around and say, look, it's humans. I mean, I just drove through Philadelphia, no offense to our Philly listeners, but it's like there's trash everywhere. You can't tell me that doesn't have an effect on the environment, you know, to some appreciable degree. You know, how bad is it? I I really don't think we know. It's my understanding that, you know, the climate is kind of on a 50-year positive feedback loop. So we're we're seeing the effects of of pollution in the 1970s right now. Mm. That was 
from an environmental science class I took in college. Okay. Um, so I don't know. You know, I'm I'm sure there's peer-reviewed literature somewhere that that would maybe back that up, and there's probably some somewheres that would refute that. But in in terms of cattle and their methane emissions. When you look at a cow in Montana, it takes about 20 acres of green space to run that singular animal year-round. Some places are more productive, some places are less productive, but as a whole, it's 20 acres per animal country. And so when you think about that one cow and 20 acres of green space, you know, how much carbon capture is going on in that green space? And, And then you actually look at the biological mechanisms that are in play in plants and they're designed to be grazed. When you graze a plant down, as long as it's not over 50% of the plant, that releases root exudates, that stimulates plant growth, those exudates stimulate other growth of other plants and it's, it's a symbiotic biosphere that happens in your soil and that's really where the magic of, of everything happens. And so well-functioning soil even captures carbon. Yeah, And so responsible grazing, um, some of these guys that are doing the intensive stuff, you know, they're able to capture immense amounts of carbon, preserve huge green spaces, and the extent of, of their output short of the animals, which is minimal, mind you, is firing up a pickup truck to go check water. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you look at corn, soybeans, you know, some of these historic carbon capture deals. I mean, there's there's six passes with a tractor to raise one crop. I mean, yeah. the, the, those John Deere tractors, I mean, they're burning a couple gallons of red dye diesel mm-hmm. uh, an hour. I mean, that there is an offset there sure. that, that we don't have in the cattle industry. Sure. And I've actually read some of that same stuff with horses. When you're grazing horses, you want to make sure they're not taking it all the way down to the soil. Yep. No, and, and, and that's any ruminant, right? You know, anytime you you go below 50%, that root mass starts to shrink. And that's, I mean, you can grow grass in, in, a, in a glass container and you can trim it to different levels and, and see that in action. Right, right. But anyway, this no, I love it. I think, thank you. No, I love it. I wanted to get your background too. So, how does your dad's ranching background and where you were raised in eastern Montana affect your your business today? Like, how has your dad and your family had an impact on you? Yeah. So, in in terms of growing up in ag, really kind of before this explosion of of out of state interests buying ranches to have for themselves. It's given me an appreciation for the places around me. I mean, as we're floating down the Yellowstone River, it's, you know, that's the lane place over there, and, and that's Mission Creek over there, and, and, you know, the Lane family's pretty interesting, and, and there is, that is our history in Montana. That is what founded the state. That is what made our state so great was was the ag community. And so to be able to share that with guests and, and inevitably gain some access on some pretty cool ranches, to get to go fishing is is yeah. a nice upside because oh you know I used to sit with your grandpa down there at Pays and you know he'd always say let's go have a beer before the sale starts and it turn into five or six. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know you're pulling a twenty two inch yeah, brown trout. Yeah, instead of drunk dialing gals, you're drunk buying cattle. So. <laughs> That's truly Montana history right there. <laughs> that is Montana history. And, and so for me, that, that is really what's, I guess, shaped the experience of, of my guide day. You know, I've, I've long said that, that every guide puts on their own show. 
some guys are are completely about the teaching you know i know guides that gosh have have some pretty interesting nicknames uh maybe due to a lack of of angling skills but they're some of the most requested guides i know because they're funny and they're personable and so everybody's kind of got their own shtick out there you know i like big personalities I think that always makes for a fun day and yeah. interesting dynamic, and, and that is what I share with people. Go see some really good fishing, understand the fisheries, understand what's going on, but also understand, you know, this big, giant, beautiful, natural green landscape that's around us as we're driving to the river. What are some of the questions you get at the booth over there at WetNet? <laughs> uh, the first one I get is, when's the best time? Yep. <laughs> When is the best time? When is the best time? I, if I knew the best time, I'd tell everybody the best time. But, you know, the, the long and the short of it is there, there is no best time. There is a best time for you, though. And that, again, back to the seasonality, really depends on what you, Rob, want to do when you come out to fish. Do you want to bring your 10.5-foot three-weight and bounce some beautiful little jig nymphs through some buckets? Do you want to fish dry flies that are quite literally the size of your pinky? Do you want to have the opportunity to kind of see all of that with our September fishery where we've got those sporadic hopper opportunities. We've got good streamer fishing, you know, with, with water in the middle 50s, those fish are eating top to bottom. So the nymphing is good again. Um, later in the month, as, as the rivers kind of continually cool off as we slide into October, uh, we start to see some blue wings get going again, you know, particularly on those overcast days um, with a little bit of sporadic rain. And so that, that is the best time. Yeah. Whichever of those speaks to you. We're going to take a short commercial break to hear from Tim O'Neill of Norvice. What makes the Norvice different than another system? There are a lot of rotary fly tying vices out there. The Norvice is the only vice that will truly spin when you tie flies, and there's a big difference between rotating a vice slowly and spinning it at a bit of a faster RPM. And being able to spin the hook on a zero-axis rotations opens up a lot of doors for us in the world of fly tying. Tell me about the introduction of colors to the Norvice system. When we obtained the company from Norm, he said to me just a very, very short statement. He said, you know, I always thought a colored Norvice would be a cool item. We brought out five colors, radical red, sunset orange, shamrock green, liberty blue, and royal purple. We have five colors along with the black that you're accustomed to seeing with Norvice, and we've been doing very well with those. To find more information in their online store, visit nor-vice.com. And I want to get into what you're saying here with it depends on what you want to do. How many people tell you what they want to do versus how many people want you to tell me what I want to do when I come to Montana? How about that question? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. And, and, and I hope my, my loyal guests don't take offense to this, but it is, it is pretty well always you tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> I want you to tell me how I, I should have a great time in Montana. Pretty well, you know. And, and so that's generally where people's first experience is, is a July or an August trip. It is a big dry fly fishing. They come out, they see that, and then from there we're able to kind of talk about what went right, you know, what went wrong, ideally nothing. Um, something's always a little hanky though, not in a bad way, but just, you know, did not particularly enjoy dragging the raft today. Okay. I, I didn't like, you know, that we had to get out and drag the raft a couple times that, that maybe wasn't my jam. And so, well, maybe you come out when there's a little bit more water, or maybe we explore, you know, 
do we look at you know that may june time frame where we do some spring creek stuff we do some some smaller tributary streams in in june or you know do we go up to to the missouri and do a day or two of that as well I don't um, want to fish the Missouri anymore. You don't want to fish the Missouri anymore. Mm-hmm. You've never fished the Missouri. I fished the Missouri twice. Oh, I haven't heard those stories. <laughs> they're not great. They're not they're great. Always, no, they're always the wrong time of year or the wrong conditions. Or Well, goodness. you should have been with me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I've caught a few fish out of there, but it's usually been a little tougher stretches. I don't know if it was just like early. We tried to hit the squalas and we missed them or, you know, it was cold. Cold. Windy. Yeah. Certainly we do get weather in Montana. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's probably epic, epic days on the Missouri. Absolutely. There's epic, epic days on, on any river, yeah. though, right? I mean, every river's got its, its staying core yeah. where it really fires. I mean, you, you've caught the biggest fish I've ever seen out of Highlight Creek. <laughs> Thank you, sir. And I've worked in Bozeman Fly Shops, so I've, I have seen more Highlight Creek fish than you can shake a stick at. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, coming through uh, on 20, me and my son, we were just trying to come through, and that was uh, when COVID hit. We had one trip to do. I had 10 trips on the books that year, and only one happened, obviously, because of the pandemic. And the one trip that did happen was when we drove across country because we didn't have to fly. And uh, we went out and fished for the golden trout. We were fishing some in Wyoming on some private water, and then coming back through Montana. I was trying to fish around Bozeman, but everything was blown out. I wanted to fish the Madison... I wanted to do a bunch of things, but everything was blown, 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 blown out. I stopped at one of the fly shops, and they recommended Highlight Creek. And we went up to the reservoir. Everything was blown out in the Highlight Creek. I found one spot where I could get a good drift. And fortunately, there was a nice trout sitting there waiting for me. Best Highlight <laughs> Highlight Creek fish I've ever seen. That's Seriously. so cool. That's so cool. We'll have to put a picture of it in the podcast. And I can you bra- should. I should brag a little bit, yeah. I think. Yeah. Or uh, or I'll get a bunch of angry emails. There's huge fish in Highlight Creek. I mean, oh, gosh. Please save your negative comments. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the questions that you get. I mean, really, it, it is a seasonality-driven thing. And then it's, you know, what's your availability? How's this your look? Yeah. You know, how far up or are you booking in advance? I've yet to find the answer. And I've kind of asked the questions a few different ways. And I've asked the question in my mind a million times because I believe in Montana there's that epic dream story that's still yet to happen. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily floating the Missouri out of Craig and casting towards a bank with, you know, a dry fly. But I'm talking about like a, an epic story that will only can be happened once, like a, a non-repeatable event a really cool experience with a Montana trout that's bigger than 20 inches, you know, like a really fat pig of a trout. I think it's out there. Oh, of course it's out there. Absolutely. But but where? But like, and so I think if it's a rhetorical question, Pierce, I think the answer is it's in a spring creek somewhere. Fair enough. There's some big fish that, that cruise spring creeks, um, you know, Depews, Armstrongs, that stuff a little bit. We see a few every year, um, you know, particularly when they kind of show themselves and they're on beds and obviously they're off limits. Say you're on a spring creek, why would you ever, you know, pee in the high church? But they're also propagating the species, so you you give them the pass. Maybe sure. you get lucky as one's moving up the system to spawn. But those spring creeks over by 
by Dylan, Twin Bridges area. I mean, they exist, you know. They've got the Todd Moen films, and yeah, yeah, you can see it, right? Yes. I mean, they're around. You know, I I was fortunate enough to fish Melesnicks one time, and there's a a Spring Creek that's private, private now. Um, used to be kind of like the other ones, pay to play. That's since changed, and there's a a Spring Creek that's got the ability to produce that that epic fish that you're talking about. That is that wow! What a connection with a with a Montana trout. And I would say there there are a lot of small creeks that have fish like that, like the highlight trout. I no, like the highlight trout. I mean, maybe not quite, but pretty dang close. <laughs> you you really are impressed by that fish. I'm impressed by that fish. I mean, like I said, you know, I've worked in Bozeman fly shops. You know, yeah. The number of seven inch trout I have seen <laughs> shown to me on an iPhone, caught by customers. On a squirmy worm or rubber legs. Yeah. I mean, it, it would astound you. You would be amazed at the number of seven-inch trout or, or the fact that there's five really dumb seven-inch trout that everybody seems to catch. Yeah. Well, I guess we got to tell the story now that we're, we've... I, I think yeah, we're, we're there. Let's hear the story. <laughs> so, Rob, welcome to Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm Pierce OJ, the host. Uh, tell me about your Montana fishing experiences. I understand it's quite extensive. Well, I've fished a few rivers in Montana, but I have to tell you this crazy story about this highlight trout that I was so fortunate to connect with one day. Me and my son are traveling through Bozeman. We wanted to fish some of these big, well-known rivers like the Madison or maybe the Yellowstone. And uh, it was everything was blown out, so I stopped at the fly shop. And they said, you know, you can probably get into some, some water that's fishable on the highlight. So he showed me a map, showed me where to go. And I, I, I'm telling you, I pulled off at every one of those little pull-offs, and we'd, like, run down to the river to see if it was fishable. And it still was not really anything I could get a good drift on. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I think we should just call it. So we went up to the reservoir. We saw some fish rising. It's a little small little. I'm like, I don't know if there's a very big. And we'd have to blow up the rafts to get out there. So I'm like, nah, let's just skip that. Let's just get out of here. So we were going to go to dinner. And we pulled off on the way back to dinner, back to Bozeman, we pulled off at one more spot that I thought might be okay. And I ran down, and there was this giant rock that looked down on the river at a bend. And I'm like, hmm, I think I can get a drift there. Let me get my rod. So I went back up. I got Tyler. He stood on the top of the rock. I went down below this rock, and I made one cast. And so what, so what I did is I put on, uh, like, a giant chubby Chernobyl or a big royal wolf or something big, and I put some some paste on it to hold it up and I put a dropper I think it was like a pheasant tail below it or something like three feet below it as a dropper and I made one cast and all of a sudden I saw the thing started to swirl in the in this back eddy behind this rock so I said hmm this might this might be interesting so I made a second cast and I put that dry fly that big bushy dry fly right at the corner of the rock and it started to swirl and I knew that nymph was under there, just like swirling around in this eddy. And I'm like, I am not moving this fly again. I'm going to let the river take care of the rest. And so it's in swirling. I'm watching, the, I'm watching the dry fly, and it's swirling, and I'm watching it. And I look up at Ty on the rock to see if he's seeing what I'm seeing. Because I'm like, Ty, you need to see this. This is incredible. And when I look back down... The dry fly was gone. I set the hook, and I just saw this massive 
swirl of brown trout. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we hooked up. You know, we had to, we had to run down the river with that, with that fish. And uh, I think we chased it down a pool or two and eventually scooped we it. We scooped it up and took a nice picture and sent her on her way. Perfect. So that was the highlight trout story. That's a best highlight creek trout story I've ever heard. <laughs> That's super cool considering, considering you walked, worked in a, a Bozeman fly shop. Well, that's cool. Well, I guess where I'm trying to get to here with your clients and your questions that they ask you, Pierce, is what is that experience that they're looking for? Because we're all chasing it. And the story I say about that trout that I'm trying to connect with in a spring creek, I think we are all hunting that experience. It's, and people come to these fly shows. You can go from anywhere from Brazil to Montana to Alaska to Iceland. You can go anywhere. Because I think we have that, that hunt in us. We have that desire to have a new experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, in, in terms of, of that experience, you know, what I've seen is it's not always necessarily about the big fish. Um, it's not always even necessarily about, you know, the truly epic days. But what it is about is, is being on, with me, beautiful Freestone Rivers, Gorgeous spring creeks, I mean, natural ecosystems, and fishing for, for wild trout with fly rod. Yeah. In Montana. I mean, that is back to a river run stirred. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was all about. I mean, that was really the impetus behind, you know, the gaining of traction. And, and then with the show Yellowstone and, and all the people that want to come out and, and see that, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, oh, all right. Like, this is, this to me is, is what trout fishing's about. It's not necessarily about, you know, that gagger slob fish that you hunted for forever and ever. I mean, I've caught those fish. I've, I've hunted for them. Yeah. Um, but I get just as much joy out of watching, you know, Nancy from Rhode Island make a, make a good cast out of the boat as we're floating down the boulder and yeah. put, a, put a black fat Albert right in front of a rock and watch a 16-inch brown come up and, and sip it and she makes a good hook set and we scoop it. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's a great time. That's a, a great cast, great, great drift, great fish, great eat. I mean, that's, yeah. that to me is, is the peak of, of human existence. I want to ask you two more questions, Spears. I want to talk to you, one, about some of the private uh, pay-to-play you talked about, some of the ranch activities or some of the ranch opportunities that you have. And now we're not going to discuss locations or anything like that, but can you kind of fill in a kind of backstory, like what you have for an opportunity for your clients? Yeah, so I... You know, I, I talk about the private access and, and we talk about that experience. And, and for a lot of people, that is one of those wow experiences. I mean, A, to be on a, a block of land that's, that's privately held, that's well manicured, mowed every year by cows, taken care of, and a, and a true trophy. I mean, they are beautiful places. So to get to, to be on a place that, you know, over the last you know, call it 140 years uh, since the homesteaders came out, you know, maybe there's been 100, 100 different people, and that's cowboys, different owners, stuff like that, that have been on those places. So for you to get to be one of those people that's truly experienced some of these pristine places, mm-hmm. um, they are like Yellowstone Park. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what they are, but they're, they're a private version of the park. Wow. And so to roll up to a gate, go through the gate, 
roll down the windows, stick your arm out the window, bounce down a two-track through a, a lush hay field, arrive at the river, set out some camp chairs, wader up, boot up if, if we're wet wading, get out there and, and go fishing where the last guy to fish there, we know who it was because it was me and, and some guests a week before. That's pretty special. Yeah, that's really nice. Is there a service fee for that type of day or... Is there like a little add-on to a guide fee? Yeah, so the rod fees are, are paid to the landowners. You know, generally those are right about 150 bucks a day per person. Plus the guide day. Yep, plus the guide day. Those fees go go right into the rancher's pocket. Some of these are family places that have, have been around for generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these places are, are owned by, by out-of-state residents. And so it, it really just depends. Yeah. But that's reasonable. It's reasonable, and and when you look at the economics of ranching, I mean, there there isn't much money in it. A good year is breaking even, yeah, um, and living to fight another year, and and so for them to have these different value add programs, like I got a fishing outfitter that comes out 12, 12 days a year, and yeah, and he's putting some money in my pocket, and mm-hmm. and you're able to experience something great as a guest, yeah. Uh, it's it's really a, a cool system, and, and I get to tag along and go see it. And that's super cool. That's the only way I'm ever going to get to go <laughs> see it, so I'm I'm happy to accommodate. The last question I want to ask you is, I know you offer, like, these kind of very concierge-level services, so you're not just, like, a guide. You know, you're offering a concierge-level white glove service for your customers who come out, and so where you're not a lodge, but you will accommodate a multi-day trip from somebody coming out from out of state and making sure they are covered from A to Z. How does that work? Yeah, so I'm I'm not a lodge owner yet, but I do I have... I like that yet. <laughs> that just got me fired well, so up that's, right there. That's, that's the next evolution, right? We'll, we'll go through, call it version one, here for a couple more years, another year or two yet. We'll see what works really well, and, and then we'll start looking at, you know, how, how can we improve the other half of your day when you're not fishing. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have some some great lodging partners. Um, the Vermilions out of Livingston, I do some stuff with them. They're, they're wonderful operators themselves. It's nice to be able to kind of tag off of some of the programs that they've developed. Yellowstone Valley Lodge is, is kind of truly the independent fishing lodge. I certainly send a lot of guests there. Sage Lodge, a little bit higher up in Paradise Valley. Uh, put some people there, and, and then a number of, of just really, frankly, badass houses that are on a river. Super cool. Quiet, secluded. I yeah. mean, that, that ultimate relaxation experience, and, and guests are right. figuring out their own their own, their own own problems for meals. And yep. um, generally, when you get these groups of four or six guys, you know, one guy's cooking steaks one night, the yeah. other guy's got grandma's spaghetti recipe from Italy. Yeah. And, and so they've all got their specialty, and, and they're all going to share a nice meal. And, and to them, that's their perfect trip. Yeah. And so that is sort of the first layer of that concierge white glove service that you're talking about is, you know, is it is it a, a really neat, you know, VRBO rental? Right. Or is it that lodge experience? Is it, you know, coordinating with an airport shuttle driver to get you guys picked up to circumnavigate renting a car? getting you dropped off and, and having you pick back up and, and take into the airport again. Yep. Um, so try and make it easy for people to come out. Absolutely phenomenal. Pierce, it's been an, my pleasure and absolute blast to hear your stories about Montana. 
I hope this is not the last time we get to ever jump on a podcast together. You've been a, a pleasure to get to know at the shows, and, and I'm excited about what you guys are doing with WetNet Outfitters. So as we close, tell our listeners a little bit about how they can connect with you and stay in touch with WetNet. You know, easiest way to connect with me, if you want to go fishing, send an initial email, leave your phone number. I like to chat on the phone. It, it allows me to get a little bit better sense of what you're really looking for. Like we talked about, most of the time people want a little bit of guidance there, you know, and, and traditionally it is sort of that, well, th- these are my dates, so we'll try it this year. And that, that always works great, right? Yeah. Your dates are your dates. I understand life. I mean, yep. we've all got time commitments. I, I carry around a, a seven-month time commitment every year where I'm doing absolutely nothing uh, other than, than fishing and working in the office. Sure. But, yeah, easiest way to connect by email. I am not social. I am social, but... <laughs> not, you're not internet social. I'm not, I'm not overly internet social. I, I run Instagram a little bit in the summertime, and, and other than that... Yeah. Uh, what is your web, website? Wetnetoutfitters.com. <laughs> Inventive, right? I'm going to ask I you. mean, that's creative, you know. <laughs> Wetnetoutfitters.com and the Instagram for when you are being social online. Yeah. Yep. Wetnet Outfitters. That's right. That's me. The name says it all, Rob. <laughs> Bears, it's been a blast. Thanks oh, for being on the shoot. pod. Thanks for having me, Rob. That was fun. You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. 